You're listening to the Relationship Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. On today's episode, I sit down and interview Chris Pimpton. Chris has had 16 years in education. He is primarily dealt with attendance, uh, truancies, and behavior. He is currently working as a behavior specialist or behavior interventionist in White Settlement ISD here in Texas. And we have a great conversation about listening about how not just become a better listener, but when we should listen and how we should listen. And sometimes how those conversations and those people in our lives have reshaped us to who we are today. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am an honor to have today's guest. I have met him before. I call him a friend and a colleague, Chris Pimpton. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Good deal, Chris. So, hey, as we get started, we want to start out every episode, Connections Before Content. We do that in what I call the Flip 5 format with the GTKY questions, Chris. So I'm going to ask you five questions. You flip five back at me and we'll go from there. Sounds good? Yes, sir. All right. Question number one. What is your favorite brand of tennis shoe to wear? Brand? Nike. I'm a Nike man. I always have to have that chick on my foot. <laughs> I love it. I love it too. Okay. Are you comfortable more with like a hoodie or a jacket on or without? You know what? I'm easy going. I say whatever, whichever way, way the weather blows me, that's the way I go. So okay. It might be a hoodie, might be a jacket. It might just be a t-shirt. Okay. Good. And I, I don't like to wear a jacket unless I like, unless the weather it you know, brings me to it uh, at the end of the day. Like I said, I want to just be comfortable. So I'm with you on that. Question number three, Chris, simple thing. Uh, I'm thinking breakfast since we're in the morning. What's your favorite way or what's your favorite breakfast meal? Like what's your favorite meal for breakfast? Well, you know, I always say anything from IHOP. IHOP. But besides that, my wife, whatever she cooks, I eat. Well, you know, I'm right outside San Antonio. We don't have Waffle Houses here. And so what's crazy is I get up in your area and, and, and I look for a Waffle House. I don't even need I don't even need an, uh, a, a menu. I, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to go for the, the 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 breakfast with the eggs, hash browns covered with cheese, uh, eggs over easy, all bacon, toast, chocolate chip waffle. I, I like I know exactly what I'm going to get. And you can get Mr. Pibb at the Waffle House. We don't get Mr. Oh. Pibb a little. So I, that's one of those few places whenever I see a Waffle House, I know what I'm getting for breakfast. Hey, you're making me hungry right now. <laughs> All right, Chris, question number four. When you think of sports, what's your one team, despite any sport, what's your one team that you are like just dedicated to watching or supporting? If it's a, a team that I'm dedicated to watching, I would have to say the San, San Antonio Spurs. But the reason I say the San Antonio Spurs is just the team camaraderie and how they work together. Absolutely. Growing up from San Antonio, I, you know, I didn't become a fan because of the championships. I became a fan because of who they are. And, you know, and I think David Robinson for me kind of even, but go back to George Gervin back in the early days, just growing up in San Antonio. So I, I can definitely resonate with the way the team conducts themselves. And I'm definitely a fan. And question number five is what's your favorite color? Favorite colors. I mean, I, they say is blue. 
I think that's everybody's favorite color. <laughs> well, I know it's mine, so I know we got that in common. So, <laughs> all right, Chris, that was five simple questions. You got five from me. Okay, five questions for you. Hmm, let me see. I mean, how's life going for you right now with all the transitions that's going on in the world? You know, actually, believe it or not, it, I, some of us can choose to look at this pandemic as a negative. I'm choosing to look at it as a positive. It, it was a it was a pause that allowed me to like really regroup, refocus, and and start pointing my compass in the right direction. So uh, ultimately, I'm doing pretty good. I've got the vaccine. I've been healthy. I never caught COVID, and so health wise, I'm coming out of it okay. And I'm coming up with a better purpose and a like a, a new mission. So very very excited about coming out of this. Uh, another question would be, I guess I would like to ask you is what brought you to doing what you're doing right now with the podcast and the relationship talk? Um, the podcast, Chris, came from this. It was really a result of the pandemic. So it's another positive. I couldn't travel and I was traveling so much and meeting people like I had met you in the past. And I was like, there's got to be a way that I could continue to have conversations with people, but be safe. And it seemed like everybody else had a podcast out there. So it wasn't like, you know, it was something very new. So it was it was a platform that I could be selfish to have conversations. And if we got a chance to share, but I'll be honest, Chris, the biggest thing that I took away from the podcast was, is like these nuggets of information that people were sharing with me that I never anticipated like so much information that I have a whiteboard over here that I just write down stuff all the time that I take away from the podcast that's really reshaped me. So I went around reshaping other people and the podcast is really about reshaping me. And I guess I only really have three questions. And the last question is, uh, it's from an education perspective, due to how things going with how kids are learning based on the racial tensions and so on and so forth, how do you get people to grow from that? Whew, man, what a loaded question. I think it goes to just, you know, I would say people want to feel valued, seen, and heard. I think you you have, we we have to figure out how to make people feel valued, seen, and heard despite what they look like on the outside. And I think we have we have to recognize that we have our own biases, our own beliefs, and our own ideas of when and how that happens. And even though it's subtle or it could be very intentional, when we're when we're we're utilizing those biases and beliefs, I think it's important that we have to just have, we have to listen. I think we have to become better listeners. And I think you know, from the work for me for the last eight to nine years, I've become a better listener, but it's it's about getting other people to listen to other people's stories. And right. I think until we can get a lens where we can shut up and we can just listen, and the more we listen, I'm hoping, this is my hope and prayer, that the more we listen, the more we'll start, and I'll use that word, start to understand. And I think that is, that's just the beginning to start to, to, to a catechism change in the whole prism of how people need to see each other and how we need to treat each other. But to me, it, it starts with just being listening, just being a good listener, listening to people's stories, man. I have, I do have one more question. You got it, brother. As they say, people have legacies and people have stories. What is your story? Ooh, my story, man. I will tell you, my story is is of a gentleman who was all over the place, self-centered about the work and, and just looking to grow uh, in the education field. And then who was halted 
and understanding that I was a cog in a wheel of a systemic approach that was helping students be unsuccessful or setting students to be unsuccessful in life and, and stopped and got out of the box and said, I got to do something different, but I didn't know what. And so I feel like for the last you know, eight, nine years, particularly since the last six years leaving education, I feel like my story is, is like, I want to leave a legacy. I want to, I want to make a change. I just don't have all the answers. And I don't know of anyone that Chris that has all the answers, but man, I will tell you like Brene Brown says, well, I'm not trying to be right. I'm trying to get it right. And I think that sums up my story. That quote sums up my story. I don't want to be right. I don't want, I just want to help people get it right. And for whatever reason, the way that we're doing it and the way that we're unpacking it and the way that we're getting people to see and hear people differently is obviously having some effect. And to me, that's what keeps driving me every single day. Gotcha. All right, brother. Hey, man, great questions. Glad you picked up that fifth one. So, hey, every listeners, for our listeners, that was the GTKY Connect Before Content, the Flip 5 format. So if you're interested in knowing more about GTKY or knowing more about our conference or anything else that surrounds RCL, uh, head over to rclfirst.com and check us out. All right, Chris. So why don't we give just quick update? You and I met years ago. Yes, sir. And in your position back then was what with Lake Worth? What were you officially titled? I know uh, you were a little was, of everything. It was, yeah, a little of everything. Truancy, but it transitioned to behavior, which generally right now I'm in a, uh, another district and I'm doing the same thing. So so what is your official title? Uh, Do you have one? <laughs> it, it, it would be more or less... Behavior, I, I, you can use behavior specialist or behavior interventionist, either whichever one you want to take. Right? Behavior is behavior with me. Absolutely. So, and where are you currently at, Chris? What district? I'm at White Settlement ISD. Gotcha. So, when you look at, you know, some of your questions, we had talked about like getting people to see things differently. So when you when you when you enter the behavior arena, well, I'll just call it that. No matter what the title is, Chris, when you think about it, how do you start to get people to understand or to see kids differently, despite their behaviors that they like show on a daily basis to other 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 students and to the adults? I think for me, it's it's all about. I, I'm a person I always want to meet the kid where they're at. I mean, that's the first thing. But for me, dealing with behavior, I can't teach you how to be me. But as, as I would also say how I can relate to behavior, behavior so well is life experiences. And my thing is this, I've been in places that kids haven't been, but I can relate to some kids, some, some places that kids are going, even though I may have not been to it. I've either seen it, done it, or been around it. Absolutely. I think that relatability is a huge component, particularly making connections with those kids with the behaviors, right? right? Like, because a lot of them will be like, you have no idea. And you're like, you're exactly right. I may not know exactly what you're dealing with, but let me tell you something that I did deal with. And it just really kind of shows that that we are kind of cut from the same cloth. So when you deal, when you work with adults who are struggling to understand students and their behaviors, have you have is there any bit of strategy or or something that has helped you kind of get over that little bit of hump uh, with working with adults sometimes that that may struggle with the students being strategy. identified 
about the strategy I would feel like I would use unless unless you're a uh, a single single sibling, which is your only child, then a lot of times you won't relate. But I always try to get people to understand, especially adults, that you have, especially if you have any siblings, you have a niece, nephew, cousin, or something of, to that extent. And what I want people to always realize and understand, the same way that you want me to relate to help you help your niece and nephew behavior be fixed. If it was your child, how would you want it to be fixed? You can't just always think, oh, I'm gonna fix it this way because a book said this, a book said that. Like I would tell anybody, I have kids. I mean, I have two children myself. So I can't expect to treat a student a certain way, but then I send my son to a certain school, inspect all his rewards, uh, accolades to sit there and say, my son needs this guy, my son needs this help. If I'm not going to be able to do it for someone else, why would I expect, why would you expect somebody to do it for your own child? Gotcha. Yeah, no, it's a really valid point. And, you know, what do they always say? What's that saying? Treat your children as if they were your own. Right. And I think if there's a, there's, there's a little, there's a few layers of just a couple of lens points where we can just, if we could get people to see the kids differently and to just um, not judge and to give a clean slate. And I think, you know, so for me, Chris, in my first marriage, I started to raise two children that were uh, high functioning autistic in well, the hardest part is at that point, I remember, and this was, I mean, we're talking late 1990s going into the early 2000s. And the hardest part was they looked normal on the outside, but high functioning autistic wasn't something that you could always see on the outside. It was, but it was, but it definitely affected the way that they work from the inside out. And I, I always told myself like, Oh, man, it, maybe it's a horrible analogy, but the Scarlet A, right? When the, the the story where she had to wear the A for adultery and it was something that she had to wear on the outside, I said it was like uh, the autism was like a, an invisible A because they can't see it, but it's there. So when you when you work with kids sometimes, just because they look like they should act right, but they don't act right, we're surprised. Does that make sense? Correct. No, that makes total sense. And and I remember, like, for example, we were when we were first getting uh, our children diagnosed, I remember specifically this incident. We had bought him. He had loved animals and we had bought the frog like a frog dissection kit. And I say this, it was plastic. And so it was like a 3D clear model of the frog. And he wanted to open it in the back seat of the car. And instead of just saying no. We had said no, because if you open, he said, why? And we said, well, because if you open it, you could lose some of the pieces in the car and blah, blah, blah. And we kind of gave this long explanation. And he turned around, Chris, and he said, no, I won't. And he opened it. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is, is because it was, I was, it was one of those things that clicked for me. We had to recognize for the, for, and like you said, every child is different, Chris. So for our children, you couldn't give them a reason why you had to say no. You just had to say no. And it and they were like little lawyers. They could like figure out a hole in why your theory was to say no and they could they could twist it. So I just remember that incident very specific because when he convinced himself like, no, I won't do that. So he could justify it to open it. We were like, whoa. So it was really hard when we were being trained by our autistic specialists in the home that our goal was to just say no. And not have to explain why. And that was that was difficult, like to not explain your reasoning behind why you were saying no. And it's just a small example of how kids can think different 
and it we we couldn't think like him. You ever ran into that situation sometimes, Chris, where the kid was thinking one way, but an adult thinks a complete different way, and now that's that's probably why it's not working. See, and that's that's a big key component to a lot of things that go on today. And I always ask parents, do you or do you give your kids everything that you didn't have? And the first thing they say, they say yes. But I also turn around and I backdoor the question is, do you give your kids everything that you had from the discipline, from mm-hmm. hey, you it wasn't no fancy risk crackers, it was the uh greater value crackers. <laughs> yes, do, sir. Do you do no. that? And a lot of parents can't sit there and they're like, no, because he don't like that. So it's almost why are we that's the reason that society to me is how it's going right now, because we want to change something that we had that was already set in place that I guess we would say is the right way. But now it looks like it's the wrong way when we get to the student or do to get to our own kids. Well, if you're going to give your kids everything that you didn't have, why why aren't we giving kids everything that we did have from this? Now, like they say, sometimes you get a kid that gets a, a whooping from their parents. Now CPS gets involved. Well, for us, back when I was growing up, because I was raised by my grandmother, I mean, that was just a regular regular whooping. Now, in, in this day and time, oh, that's beating, that's child abuse. So it's, it's, I always say, to me, we're at war. We're all at war. That's how I really look at it. But especially for education, educa- educators per se, but I mean, it, DMX made a quote that everybody's using now. Yes, kids are at war, but at the same time, as staff members, as teachers, as principals, superintendents, whatever, we're built for war because we already have went through it. But the thing is, if we're built for war, we have to be able to share it with the students to let them know that it's going to be a war, a time point that you're going to come and face war, but we're building you for it, opposed to social media trying to build them for war. And like I tell my son all the time, y'all have arguments and fights over Snapchat and Instagram and Twitter. It ain't a real fight. That's a that's an argument in words. <laughs> and, and, and who is not courageous behind a keyboard, right? Right. Yeah, I think I, I, that is that is one thing that I look at through the pandemic how we were forced to to be forced almost to join what the students really like, which is hiding behind social media, right? And their in their phones and and tablets and and uh, laptops. But it's so interesting how I remember at Ed White even before I met you, the the conversations that I would read, Chris, behind the I'll call it the keyboard. Uh, behind the keyboard where these students would say some things that they would never say in person. Right. Never would they ever use those words or that tone. And it, it just reminded me of, of how disconnected we were. And then when they had to like face that person, it was a complete, almost, and the same thing would happen with the parents. Chris, I get a parent with a, send me this horrible email and then I meet them in person and they were so polite to me. Right. right. You ever experienced a courageous keyboard? Right. You're, you're right. Because, I mean, I talk to multiple parents on the phone a lot of times and it's like they're so uptight and so angry. But then, like, I, and I always tell a parent all the time, once they get in the office and talk to me, I mean, we, we can talk through this and we can talk about this. But the thing is, one thing that you don't get to understand is, is when you're talking at each other, opposed to talking to each other. And I think a lot of people, 
get that misconstrued, they get that misconstrued of talking at somebody. Nobody's listening. It's almost like I always tell the kids a lot of times, especially the kids that deal with, I deal with behavior. When you're yelling and screaming and yelling, and I said something to you, did you ever hear me? No, sir. Or no, I didn't hear you. You know why? Because the thing is, you were trying to talk at me, but see, I was talking to you. Once we're able to talk to each other, then everybody gets a clear understanding. That's whether it be with a student, that's, that could be in a marriage. Because talking at somebody, they, they become tone deaf because you really never hear anything or you don't hear the right thing. No, and that's kind of what we started off the, the conversation, I think, about just being a better listener. I mean, have you ever thought about it, Chris? Why is it so hard for us to listen? I think it's so hard for people to listen because so much is un- unheard. I know it's kind of funny way to put it. And, but I, when I say it's unheard is that everybody has a voice. I always tell students they have a voice. It's how you use it. But from different cultures, different backgrounds, different ethnic, I mean, you, you list of it, you take certain cultures where the voice is never heard because they're always told to be submissive and not say anything or you like the Chinese or the Hispanics. Or if you look at the African-American culture, the way they want to be heard, it's always an aggressive approach. Or it, and it can be from other demographics or other races that it's all about not being heard. So therefore, it's hard to even be able to be listened to. Yeah. No, I, I, it's, it's just really interesting. And I, I've reflected on this quite a bit of my own, my own growth is why there's times when I'm, I'm able and I use that word, I'm able to really hear people and what their message is or what they're trying to say. And then there's other times when I get, I guess, caught up in the conversation so much that I'm more worried about getting my points across or getting them to hear what I want them to say, that that becomes a priority over listening. Like I can't, I can't get myself to be able to listen and then respond. Instead, I want to interrupt and reply and then try to act like I'm, I'm listening or acknowledging in between. And, and to me, if I'm able, and that's why I say if, if I'm able to catch it, then I'm like, okay, slow down, listen to what they have to say. Like I literally have to walk myself through Chris, like coaching myself as if I'm going through like a play in sports, right? right. Like I'm like, nope, stop, just listen at this point. And I have joked with some people on the show, and even though you can see my screen, what's interesting is, Chris, sometimes I'll sit back. And the reason I pull myself away from the mic and sit back is that is my intentional way of sitting back so that I can listen and not be right up here on the mic ready to respond with a good question or or to ad lib to something. And so... I just started noticing that recently about some of my listening characteristics and when I'm a better listener and when I'm not a better listener and what gets me there. And I'm still learning. So, you know, earlier you had mentioned prior to the show, we were talking about getting people to like listen or getting people to see through a different lens, whether that's behavior, whether that's color, whether that's understanding or digesting a new idea. And I think one of the biggest challenging is that, when we come into a room, whether it's a room filled with one person or a hundred people, is how do we get those people to listen to us? And I think if I look at it from that perspective, 
that's probably one of the most difficult challenges, whether it's one or 100. What are your thoughts on getting people to listen to us on our platforms? The, the problem is, I think people are really willing to listen. It's what they, and it's not that they're not willing to listen. It's what, they only really go based on what they want to hear. Like I always tell anybody, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what I, what you need to know. It's different between telling you what you want to hear. Because a lot of times when I tell you what you want to hear, then I'm meeting you where you want to be. It's not all about, because I mean, I, sometimes people tell me certain things where I'm like, wow, I had to sit back and listen. But the other thing that I factor into that, a lot of times why it's really a struggle for some time for people to listen, people, they stereotype you. They stereotype you before they even, uh, well, is he educated? How can he tell me something and I have a doctoral degree? Mm. Or how can he tell me something and he he's a truck driver? I mean, my thing is this, as I tell anybody, I can learn from a, a, a dog just as well as I can learn from a human being. It doesn't take for me to sit there and oh, have all these plaques on the wall or have these credentials or have this credentials because we learn something different from everybody. Because as they, as I would tell anybody, an officer or a firefighter make tons of more money than an educator, but an educator has spent years in college. So, but they can tell us stuff about how to put a fire out or the law to something and not having even stepped one foot into a college classroom or a dormitory or anything like that. So I think that's the biggest thing that people struggle with in listening is for the simple fact is they stereotype you say, oh, well, what what does he know? How can he tell me this? How can he tell me that? That's just prime example. Like I had to break down one day and my son was younger then and he was like, that's that's race. I said, what are you saying? He said, I said, are you saying racism? I said, because it's a difference between race and racism. That's the thing that the world is battling with right now every day because everybody feels like they're listening to these big wigs or these people that have got these big college degrees, have been on all these platforms. You listening to them because what TV shows you is that they're already above us. But at the same time, they're just like us. That's how I look at it. And that's when I think it's a, a lot of times it's a struggle for people to listen. But again, I, I always revert back to, hey, I don't I don't have all answers, but I can find the right answer. Yeah. Well, I, first of all, thanks. That that was awesome. I think if if when I hear when, when I hear how you shape your conversation, it goes back to a couple commonalities of what I've even heard on the show. Chris is is like we have this like vision of what we believe who are experts and who are not experts, right? And right. so, from when we were younger, Chris, we were taught that we should listen to people who have a doctorate or who are a doctor, or an expert, or they have to have some validity that shows them or shows us that why we should listen to them. And I think we grew up in a society that said there's a hierarchy to this and people with this much experience or this much degrees or these many titles, that's who we should listen to. Which really interesting because I always joke when I met Denise, my co-founder, like everybody kept saying, she's just a paraprofessional. And I'm like, people, she's phenomenal. She's phenomenal at this work. She sees human beings like I've never seen human beings. And I think that then she taught me, she really did. She said, listen to the students. 
And I was like, yeah, no, she was like, no, really listen to the students. And I think there's a difference, Chris, between listening from here, pointing to my head and here pointing to my heart. Listening to, from my head, it means just like listening to whatever they have to say. But it means ready to reply, ready to respond. I mean, very superficial listening up here. Listening from my heart, all of a sudden, Denise taught me how to listen to kids, Chris. And all of a sudden, I'm like, holy cow, that was a fourth grader who just said something profound, right? Like I left altered for the way that I thought the rest of the day, even potentially the rest of my life, Chris. And it was like, that was from a fourth grader. And then it really, the work, the more we started doing the work with the students, the more I started recognizing, I'm like, we need to be listening to some kids because just like we always say people in educate who's making decisions about education should be listening to education. We should also be listening to kids. And I don't know why we've convinced ourselves that kids are at the lowest at the hierarchy on the, on the totem pole, right? Because right. to us, we flip it and we are able, because we've heard some powerful things, we flip it and we come in the room and we say, Hey, I know you have a degree. I know you got a title. I know you got a really fancy name tag. I know you're in a three-piece suit, but I really want to hear what that kid over there has to say, because sometimes he or she has something way more powerful than you think you're going to share today. Mm-hmm. And once we started to tap into that, whoo, I mean, Chris, it was it, it was life changing, not just in the work, but just understanding how a voice does not have to have these titles and all this, the things that we were brought up to shape around these things, to listen to people. I'm like, man, I'd rather listen to that kid any day or, or that teacher or that doctor or that fireman or the, the neighbor down the street. It doesn't matter, man. People have things to share. And I just don't know why we're so hard in listening. I think the, the, the biggest thing is that uh, people have to sometimes do, you have to bite your own tongue with your own teeth. And I mean, that's kind of, cliche statement to say, but it, it is what it is. If you bite your own tongue, you're not saying anything. You're allowing somebody else to talk. So therefore, what, that, what does that cause you to do? That causes you to listen. And once you get out of the thing, because of course, when we bite our own tongue, it hurts. But sometimes we have to bite our own tongue in order to, to understand what somebody's saying. Because like you said, we're so eager to just jump into the conversation opposed to like, oh, we got to listen. Because we, we're so fast to want to charm in. Like, if you say something, it's like, oh, I got this idea. I want to go ahead and get it all out. Well, that's the same thing with a kid in the classroom. I mean, I was always taught to look at it this way. I mean, I always tell kids a lot of times, when you're pulling somebody out of a hole, which way should your back be turned? So that's that's going to cause you to listen. Because if, if, your back is, if you're face-to-face with that individual and you're trying to pull them out that hole, that individual is going to be looking at every single thing that you're doing. So therefore, now you guys are in a debate on how to pull each other, pull for me to pull you out the hole or you to pull me out the hole. Opposed, if my back is turned, all I should be focused on is the instruction and the directions to get you out the hole that you're in. That's that's all it needs to be. It doesn't need to be, oh, well, if you put this foot here and then, okay, now, well, now, now back up. No, your right foot, your this foot, this foot. Well, the, the primary objective is to get this individual out the hole. Once I listen, all I know is to pull. Well, hey, give me a little push. I'm almost out. You don't want to look back and see, because if you look back, what if they sink further in the hole? You mm-hmm. keep looking forward. And my thing is this, once they're at the hole, 
then y'all side by side. Why you in that hole? Then, hey, it's a struggle. And that's the struggle in the classroom where that teacher sometimes have because kids are in holes. They are in holes. I mean, when you look at the demographics, uh, like I say, poverty. Poverty is nothing but someone that needs to make something out of something that they never had. That's all it is. We can't look at what the thing is. Everybody's not going to listen to that because everybody hasn't faced problems. So we go back to again. But if you build a relationship, which goes all the way around full circle, hey, let me build this relationship with this kid. Let me talk to this kid because I don't know what this kid is going through. And then we have to factor in the, the, the student that is being, we think that they have it all good at home and they really don't. So then when we talk to them, oh, well, this is what's really going on. That way we can share with additional teachers. But if no teacher or no staff member asks this kid what's going on, how do you know how to relate to this kid? You can't relate to him. You can just sit there and say, I read a book or I had a kid similar to him. Well, that kid that you had similar to probably stayed in a, a, a 2,500 square foot home opposed to the other kid that you're saying that I understand because I had this kid before, stays in a, a, a physical apartment. We never know. It's about building relationships and talking to kids. If you're afraid to talk to a kid, then I feel like you shouldn't be an educator. It's just, um, and I, and I, some may say that's just being rude or that's being arrogant or uh, that doesn't make any sense. If you cannot talk to a student and listen to them, then you don't need to be in education. That's just my own personal opinion. There's nothing wrong with that opinion right there. In fact, one of the lines I've been recently using, Chris, particularly going into the pandemic and through the pandemic was, some of us are stuck using a 1999 playbook in 2021, yeah. right? Yes. Because we were brought up with the idea, Chris, that we were just supposed to do what adults tell you to do. Don't talk back. Don't question. If you do, you know what's going to happen when you get home. You know, all there, we were shaped in for a majority of years. That's how we were supposed to be expected to just do those things. And I'm not, again, I can't blame, and I'm not going to, whether it's parents, social media, we could, we could sit there, Chris, and we could blame all day long, right? But at the end of the day, something changed. So if we want to get in reality, I, I just did a quick episode the other day about like why students don't trust us, right? Students no longer listen to us and comply with us because we're adults, Chris, because they don't trust us. And the reason they don't trust us is, is because when we were grow, grow, growing up, they just told us to listen. And you were like, okay, I'm supposed to listen to that person. Right. And no matter whether it was a babysitter, whether it was an aunt or an uncle, or whether it was a teacher, whatever, you were just saying they're an adult. I'm supposed to, but see kids now see social media and they see adults making mistakes like crazy politicians, police officers, teachers, right? Doctors. And so now we're telling them, you should trust me. And these kids are like, why? Because their narrative has changed because of what they're seeing on a regular basis. Right. But, you know, and so we particularly think about it, right? Like if with so much social injustice with, with dealing with the different aspects of how racism has occurred, particularly in over the last 16 months, Chris, think about it, how many students now see people different and they see color. And these people that say they don't see color, that kind of stupid stuff. My point is, but people do see color. And so what's crazy is these kids see color, they see titles, but then they, but what they still see is you look like the same adult that I saw on a social media jacking life up. And I was supposed to like, listen to you. And we're we, and we as adults can't digest that fact that like, 
well, wait a minute, but let me let me make a true connection with you. Let me tell you who I am as a person. Then they'll then they'll walk through fire for you once they realize that you're genuine and authentic. Does that make sense when I talk about it's, like that? It makes perfect sense. And what's funny that you said it, you it's strange that um, I've I've dealt with that in districts. And I mean, I just deal with it like when I mentor some kids and they and some people say, Oh, well, kids only talk to you because you try to be their friend. I say, No, I say I'm not their friend. I'm not I'm trying to be their mama, I'm not trying to be their daddy. I'm trying to be the human being to talk to him just like they're a human being. I don't look at color, race, because like I always tell my son, at the end of the day, when you're placed in a casket or you burned up, uh, cremated, or whatever, they didn't, they they don't they don't sit there and say, "Hey, I burned an African American man, or I burned or I buried a white Caucasian man." They say, "I buried this individual." You're based on your name, and you're based on just being a human being. Because your, your social security number doesn't have five 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 seven eleven white guy. It just has <laughs> five five seven or whatever. Right. Kurt, Kevin Curtis. That's it. And that's right. what you have to realize and look at it. But but then we also go in and I I dislike social media so much because uh -huh. as they always say, social media shows everything negative, but they show nothing positive. And then when you try to show something positive. You you still backdoor with something negative, which means that the whole positive thing that needed to come out is never going to happen. No, I agree. Uh, I mean, I think about what's that word they call it? Toxic positivity. In other words, teachers doing things too positive all of a sudden became toxic. And and I was like, that's an interesting backlash. I mean, I get it. Like we they educators were particularly the pandemic caused it, but they were so tired of Chris educators showing that you worked this many hours and you went and fed this many people. And then you taught from a hospital room and you did all that. And people are like enough because that's, that's glorifying the people to do above and beyond. And it's putting pressure on the rest of us. And I get the connotation from that, but don't take it that way. Right. Like, just like you said, I, I, I we're such a, we're, we are so keen on negativity versus positivity, which is why we, you know, for us, we have the spark, you know, spark is one of our positive tools where we just create positive interactions and it can be done in such a simple word, right? Like think about it, Chris, your children. Can you imagine if, if your, your kids growing up, if they ever got a positive note in their lunchbox or they got a high five or they got something, just a positive word spoke upon them that day, how it simply changed the trajectory of their day, or you even being married, you ever done something positive for your wife or vice versa, she's up to something positive for you. And like, it just turns your day around when somebody who's in your circle and even outside your circle, somebody does something nice and all of a sudden, Chris, somebody buys you lunch or gives you a cup of coffee or whatever, lets you in when you're trying to get through that DFW traffic, you know, just does something nice to you. Doesn't those little things sometimes make the biggest difference in your day? It makes a, a huge difference. And I think a lot of times you you see so many kids and I had to balance this with my own son and then now I'll be like, hey. You're doing your thing, buddy. Of course, however he wants to sit there and say it. But it's a lot of kids that sit there and say, oh, my mom always fussing me. She always doing this. And the coach sit there and said, I ain't doing this. Coach ain't sit there and said that. Nobody's sitting there saying I'm proud of, or proud of you. And then I just sit there and say, okay, is that what you want to hear? I'm proud of you. Because here's the thing, and that's what I always want kids to understand. For me, and yes, I'm an adult, and I understand because I've been through enough in my life. Nobody really has to tell me, hey, great job. 
Because at the end of the day, I always look at it this way and I always tell my son, you, everybody has a story to tell. And with that story to tell, you gotta let you gotta allow people to create that image of that story of you. So I have kids all the time, man. Oh, I'm gonna miss you. I'm gonna miss you. Well, they didn't have to. They didn't have to tell me I'm mean, doing a good job. If you're missing me, then that lets me know that I'm doing something right. Mm. I don't. I mean, parents don't always know what to say because, like I always tell my son, he was like, "You get on my case. We're well, always doing something wrong." I said, "Well." Tell me how many times I get on your case for doing something good. I said, because that's my job to correct you. But at the same time, I listen to him. He was like, I, sometimes I just want you to say this to me. I said, I'm going to say this. But at the same time, if I don't say it, you still have to do it. Like I always tell him, everybody. Now, a lot of kids on this football team, they were like, I didn't ever really think about this. I said, everybody always says good luck. I said, that's the cutest and coolest thing, but good luck. I said, but I was always sit there and told it's, it's my mom used to always sit there and say, and I used to be like, she's so cruel. But if it was true, she, she was like, I don't say good luck. I'd be like, she would always tell me, and I tell my son, go handle your business. She said, because if I tell you good luck and you lose the game, where was the luck at? But if I tell you to handle your business, regardless the turnout, as long as you put forth all your effort and you did your best, that's all I want. But so many, we, we throw that around. Good luck. Good luck. Yes. It, I mean, it's good luck. Like we tell a kid on star or, or, or any test, hey, good luck. Okay, well, if he fails it, hey, well, where's the luck that you said he was supposed to have? <laughs> no, right. we just tell a kid how to this because at the end of the day, if you do what you're supposed to and you work hard, as the, as we were told, if you work hard, you'll be successful. That's the reason some kids, like they say, sometimes college is not for everybody. I know people that make well over six figures that are plumbers. Mm-hmm. But what it is, you just embrace the kid to have knowledge and understand the true meaning of life. Try to be successful in life. Now, if college is a part of that, great. Now, as the educator, yes, we're supposed to push college, and I'll forever push college. Now, I mean, I'm getting my master's right now, thanks to Mr. Santa Claus. But at the same time, she she used to push me to limits. I was like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But it was like, like we just sit there and say the key word, listening. I listen to her. So now when I go in a meeting or something and I let them finish saying what they sit there and say, and they might think that I didn't know anything they talked about. But then when I start charming off and saying, hey, this, this, and this, and they were like, oh, you did hear what we said. Mm. But I used to dislike so much a lot of times. Yeah, we're going to this meeting. Or we going to this, this luncheon. This doesn't have nothing to do with my job description. But if I had to listen to her, now that me listening to her and going with her, I see what listening got me. It's got me to be more productive, more proficient in things I do. It's just overall, it made, it made me be a better me. But I had to listen to get something, a point across. Just like teachers have to listen in order to be able to teach their class. We can have a curriculum to teach a class, but at the same time, everybody doesn't learn the same. Yeah. And, I mean, your class is only as strong as your weakest student. If your wiki student is with your highest grade student, then I know that everybody's learning. Yeah. No, it's well said. I I I think like we we need to have people in our life that are influential. But as you've pointed out, it's crazy sometimes how God has given us people like Dr. Darst, who we didn't see coming, Chris. Like we had no idea the influence and the reshaping that they would have on our life, but somehow we let them in. We made a connection with them. We trusted them. 
And it was, it's almost like Mr. Miyagi, right? Like wash on, wash off, right? Like she's like, go to this luncheon, Chris. And you're like, this had nothing to do with me. You're like, just listen to me, Chris. Just go to this luncheon, right? You're like, all right, Dr. Doris, I'll go to this luncheon, right? All right, right. So then years later, you've waxed on and you've waxed off and you've done what she's asked you to do. And now all of a sudden, you know, uh, she was almost diabolical, right, Chris? Right. All of a sudden you realize like, dang, like, I've learned to sit in the room and be the last person to speak right. versus the first person to speak. And isn't it amazing when you're the last person to speak, how you get listened to differently than when you're the first person, right? right. Or when you when you only say, and you don't speak very often, but when you do speak, people listen because right. they're like, well, if Chris is going to say something, he it must be important because he typically is very quiet. But when he's quiet, it doesn't mean he's not listening. It means he's really just listening and he's gathering his thoughts. Right. And we learn that about Chris and we appreciate that about Chris. So we honor what Chris brings to the table because of those things. And I look back on how we are all shaped by many M.I.N., many small little people, right? Like just, you know, those many interactions and those many, you because I've worked with somebody, Chris, for a short amount of time and they've impacted me. I've had high school coaches only been with me for one year, but yet I look back through my entire lifespan and think back to my junior year when I had that defense coordinator and man, the way he coached me and the way he taught me and what was it about it? So when I became a teacher and a coach, I said, man, I'm going to take, what I experienced, in my opinion, were some of the worst coaching experiences mm -hmm. and what were some of the best. And I want to kind of pull on those strands and to figure out who I am. Because like you said at the very beginning, I can't be Chris Pimpton and you can't be Kevin Curtis. But you know what? I can say, you know what I love about Chris? And I could try to be more Chris-like, right. right? And to me, that's that's where we start to grow is when we realize and we filter out who should influence us and who shouldn't influence us. And we start to let ourselves kind of grow and adapt from those perspectives inside out versus just listening to the Kardashians or somebody on IG or, you know, right. just who they, who, who society thinks you should be. What are your thoughts, Chris? My thoughts, I mean, you, you only can be what God allows you to be. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, spiritually, I mean, I'm, I only can go based on my own personal vision, but I mean, I'm only what God allows me and wants me to be. Because if he doesn't want me to be a superintendent or a doctor or a lawyer, then I'm not going to be there. Right. I mean, so many times we, especially our younger generation, whatever entices them and really gets their, their adrenaline going, that's what they want to be. That's the reason so many kids that say, I want to go to the NFL, I want to do this, I want to go to NBA. And like I always tell other students, a lot of times, I'm like, okay, you want to go to the NFL and tear up your body and get paid millions of dollars. Great. But what about the same guy that swings a golf club and is wearing less tear on his body and he makes the same amount of money? Or what about the guy that works at Texas Stadium or Cowboy Stadium or the New Rangers ballpark that makes millions and billions of dollars, possibly, and all he has to do is just hit a switch and cut the lights on. It's, it's all about what we get these students to grow and be. If we try to get them to grow and be something positive, then we hope. But in, and the biggest thing is we can't be limited to how much we offer the student. Because, you, of course, we all get to that point. We get tired. Oh, man, he, he just don't get it. Well, he got something. 
He, he might not got everything that you gave him, but he got something. And that's all that really matters as long as they get something. Because I always tell anybody, you have seen good and the bad. It's your choice of which side you choose to take. Of course, you can say, oh, well, you make millions of dollars selling drugs. Okay, yeah. But you have seen it, whether it be on a movie, on a TV, the Channel 5 News, that's the wrong thing to do. But you also seen the guy that, hey, he went from buying one boat, now he has a hundred yachts that he rents out, and he makes millions of dollars. It's all about what these kids transition and see, and I think that's the biggest thing, because that's the only thing I get kind of leery in based on does uh, the aspect of virtual learning. What is a student really going to learn, and what are they or what are they going to miss? So what they miss. We got to be willing to listen to make sure that we put everything in them that they miss. Because you're not going to get everything. Yeah, you're going to have somebody. It's a big difference between sitting in the classroom and being outside of the classroom. Because all I'm doing is providing you work. And I, I might give you a couple of Zooms. And you got to learn this. You got to learn that. But at the end of the day, you're going to miss some key component that you need or that nugget that you need that you should have gotten in the classroom. So it's our job as educators. Once you listen to that kid, see where he's missed, you build a relationship with that kid. Okay, hey, you missed this. Call the kid and see how he's doing. Uh, he ain't been to school. He don't come to school. He don't want to come to school. He don't like school. But did you ever take a task time why he didn't like school? And I always break the day down with kids all the time. I'm like, okay, so you have an hour class. I say, so you got two classes you got to go to before lunch. So that's just two hours you got to do work. Then you sit in lunch for 30 minutes. Then you got this. Then you have this. And then by the end, Guess what? The day is over. Oh, I ain't never looking at it that way. But if you have never took out the time to find out why the kid dislikes school, why the kid is frustrated, we don't know. A lot of times, the kid is just hungry. Mm-hmm. Kids don't eat breakfast because, yeah, everybody says breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Well, we all know school food ain't the greatest food. But with that being said, the kid just might want a sit room ball, and they might not act up for the whole entire day. Well, guess what? I'm going to have a whole bunch of cereal bars in my family. Bad for the rest of the day. And it's, and it's and we, we have to build a relationship. If you don't build a relationship, and the biggest thing is have the conversation that you're scared to have. Mm. That's the best way to build a relationship because you, the biggest conversation that's going on in today's society is the race conversation. Mm, have that conversation. I mean, you got an African-American on, on here talking to a Caucasian white man. We have a conversation. It ain't going to be like, oh, I ain't going to say this. I ain't going to say this to me. Because the thing is, you could ask me anything. And I know I can ask you anything. Because at the same time, we're not looking at each other as a racial thing. We're looking at two. It's two human beings talking to one another. Absolutely. But that's the thing I think of. To build a relationship, you got it's almost a must. It's not a want. It's a must. And it's a need. need you need. You have to have those conversations that you're scared to have. The hard conversations of, of why are you acting like this or why are you acting like this? And then the thing is, is, once they tell you, yeah, you can put your own spin on it, but now it's time to listen. Now it's time to relate or try to figure out, because it's always something written that can relate to that that issue or that matter that y'all are talking about. That way it can come together. And bam. Now that kid has a relationship. He trusts you, like you said, trust. You can be honest with that kid. And then a lot of times when you have those things going on with your kid, that kid will run through a brick wall for you. Mm-hmm. But it's those individuals that 
Uh, I'm just here to, to give out this this curriculum, and if they get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. Okay. Well, you know that might be the person that when you need open heart surgery, that hey, if he get it, he get it. If he don't, he don't. <laughs> he might put that wrong order in the wrong place. Then what's going to happen? No, it's well, and and I think that's what we just alluded to earlier, Chris. Is is that we we were brought up under one mindset, and it's changed, mm -hmm. and that's all I really want people. I don't even need you to change per se when I have a conversation with people about this, Chris. I just need them to open open the idea that kids are different and that teaching is different. And as you've pointed out earlier, if it's so different, you have to ask yourself, should I still be in it? Right. And as you mentioned earlier, if you can't listen to a kid and if you're you know above or beneath or however you want to look at it, that you can't have those conversations, then I need a switch to come off on si inside of you to go, do I still need to be in education? Have I lost, have I, have I gotten so far disconnected where, where education and students are in reality and I'm in my 1999 bubble thinking kids listen to me and comply with me just because I'm an adult. If you're stuck there, you're stuck. And, and, and to be honest with you, like you said, not trying to be rude, not trying to be hurtful. You may need to consider a second, a second field of, of something else in education, or you may need to teach where that mindset still fits. Right. Because as you said, all students learn different. And what I've realized, particularly when it deals with behavior, Chris, is, is a lot of the clashes is where the teacher wants the kid to learn and listen the way they were taught to learn and listen. And when they don't work that way, then they're like, go see Chris, go see Chris, go see Mr. Chris, because because you ain't listening to me. See, and it's not about, I take behavior, it's not a, it's not a behavior issue, it's just a lack of understanding. That's mm -hmm. all it is. It's not, it's behavior, they use that word and throw it so freely, it's a lack of understanding. Because I can't, I, I have to come to realization that with the generation that we live in, you can't expect a kid to know something that ain't never been taught. Mm. You cannot expect them to know anything. Kids don't understand, like my son, I'm like, hey, you need to go out there and wash cars and make a little money. That's labor. Well, in today's society, we can't expect a kid to know what labor is when they don't have to do labor. When all I have to do is get in front of a microphone and then they're going to give me a stack of money. Or all I have to do is run a ball or catch a ball or dribble a ball or run around the track a couple of times. I get a bunch of money. Where's the real labor of hard work and commitment? That's when so many kids sit there and they transfer from school to school. They go from place to place because they don't know what hard work is. But the thing is, we can't expect them to know hard work is if it ain't never been taught. Mm. I always tell teachers all the time, at the end of the day, you know where a kid really learns from? Yeah, you're providing them information. But one through five or before they was in daycare, everything came from their parents. So if it was a lot of negativity they learned from their parents, you can't expect them to come over and be positive. They have already been taught and some being embedded in from one through five and that you're going to try to break in 10 years. Yeah. It's just, it's just not, it's just not going to happen. I, I just leave what I always sit there saying is that I always tell kids, I want you to look at yourself as somebody taking a picture of you. And I said, when somebody takes a picture of you, what happened? That picture is stopped. It's a steel frame. You need to make sure that everybody knows that 
that's the only way that you're going to be stopped in life is based on a steel frame or unless you pass away and you're deceased. Mm-hmm. Other than that, that steel frame is the only way people get you. That's all I always tell my son. Each time somebody takes a picture of you, that's just something for them to remember you about. You keep going, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. You learn and you grow, you learn and you grow. And then it's limitless to what you can do. It's not a limit, it's just limitless. And I tell all my students that. Well, Chris, man, you've given us a really good picture today of who Chris Pimpton is at this moment and share some wisdom and knowledge. And so I want to honor your time, man. Thank you for the conversation. I said this and I truly meant it. Like just that last statement that really behavior is just a lack of understanding, right? Like, and, and it sounds so simple, but when I really listen to what you just said, Chris, it's crazy as I'm like, he's right. Because when we don't understand behavior, people want, it's just a lack of understanding where it's the root cause, or like you said, how they were raised, or are they hungry? There's a lack of understanding that's at the root cause beneath the surface of where this behavior is at. And they're only showing you what they want to show you, right? And if they trusted you, they would tell you, I'm hungry. If they trusted you and had a relationship with you, you would tell you, hey, you know, I grew up in a really where things were more negative and you try to be positive with me. And I don't I don't I just that I don't see it that way, whatever the situation is, Chris. But, man, thank you for your words of wisdom. Thank you for your experience. Thank you for your stories, man. And thank you for your time this morning. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me on. I mean, I miss seeing you. I mean, of course, you know, the love is always there. I mean, it was things that you taught me that I use today. And every day, I mean, because it was a lot of things that I was like, oh, you fix it like this because I was raised. But then when I mean, of course, after meeting with you, I mean, as I say, you throw little nuggets right there in my hand. I'm like, okay, man, I'm rich. So now, hey, I can take this. And I mean, and I think that's what is funny. A lot of people be like, oh, you're big. That's what people are like, no, I just don't (laughs) let stuff. I don't allow stuff to get to me. And I understand. I say, but sometimes I had to listen to somebody else to help me get an understanding. And I mean, I just want to applaud you and salute you and tell you, hey, thank you for the great work that you're doing and that you continue to do. Well, thank you, brother, man. Hey, I appreciate you being on the show, man. Thank you for your time. And for our listeners, I hope that you were a better listener today because I think that was a huge theme for what Chris and I talked about. Hope you were a better listener. Hope you got some nuggets from today and we will connect with you next time.